Welcome to The Perfect Storm, a bi-weekly podcast for business executives and cybersecurity professionals. Industry veterans Michael Markulek and Matthew Webster chat with guests about the latest cyber news, threats, and trends, and how all of it impacts their businesses. Harbor Technology Group is a cybersecurity consulting firm that offers advisory services to the SMB. Harbor believes by taking a proactive rather than reactive approach to cybersecurity, business leaders can develop a cybersecurity program that will address external requirements, exceed client expectations, and ultimately take their organization to the next level. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining another episode of The Perfect Storm, Harbor Technology Group's podcast. Um, with me today, I have Jim Cavanaugh uh, on a Zoom meeting, because we're not meeting in person at this point. Uh, he's principal and owner of Executive Healthcare Consulting. Uh, and I know Jim from helping him uh, once a quarter, or once a semester, I should say, teach a class at Rutgers. He teaches a healthcare class, which you can describe, but I come in and pontificate about cybersecurity and watch the, uh, the poor undergrads' eyes roll back in their head as they fall over thinking about cyber stuff. So uh, Jim, thanks for, thanks for joining me. Um, uh, happy New Year to you, although we're dating this podcast a little bit, but uh, uh, happy New Year to you. Uh, thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here, and I um, uh, appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Happy New Year to you, or, or whatever date it turns out to be. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so, Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, about your, your firm, uh, maybe a little bit about what you're doing at Rutgers, uh, and then we'll we'll dive into some some stuff. Sure. I'll try to give you the quick version. So, um, I, I was an IT major um, as an undergraduate. Um, and thought I would be going uh, exclusively into information technology. Um, my first job was for a hospital system and I wound up um, really sticking with healthcare ever since. Uh, healthcare just is a phenomenal place to work in, uh, both from the, the, the aspect that there's a lot of IT need there. Uh, and also it's very uh, fulfilling and rewarding. I know you and I talked about this, but um, you know, really being able to put your time and energy into something that is such a, um, critical need, uh, societal need, and, and certainly now with the pandemic, we see it um, highlighted even more so. But but just That's as right. been a great place to to work and um, a great place for me to use my skills in IT. Uh, so uh, my my first job was with a complex health system in Newark, New Jersey. Um, uh, from there, I went to uh, Patterson, New Jersey, where I was the network director and ultimately the CIO um, for about twelve years there. And then I had an opportunity to begin my own consulting company. I thought I'd go and do a lot of work for hospitals and actually turned out uh, I was doing a lot of work for interoperability models and health exchanges and uh, state uh, health information networks. So that's been the primary focus for me for the last seven or eight years. And during that time, I did start teaching a course at uh, Rutgers. They have an undergraduate um, program in healthcare administration, which I thought was great because uh, all the problems in healthcare are going to need the next generation to solve because I, I don't think we're going to get to it in, in our generation. So <laughs> you think? <laughs> I, I think it better help uh, 
train train the next generation about what's going on out there. And I certainly appreciate your help, um, you know, each semester helping with as a guest lecturer. So, well, you know, I love it. Uh, I can hear my love hear myself talk, but I, I really do believe in in cyber and in its importance in all industries and healthcare being one of those as well. So, you know. Um, it, you know, I, I was kind of tongue in cheek with the, the students eyes rolling in the back of their heads, but really they, they are pretty engaged and um, uh, actually I, I think security is top of mind for so many people, no matter what you're doing, that, uh, that it, it does keep people involved. Um, so yeah, I, didn't, I, heard, I, I think I've got, you know, I've told you, I, I always get positive feedback and that's one of the reasons <laughs> I'm talking back to you. That's but right. They also, uh, I think that the, the fact that, you know, it, there's careers in something like, you know, ethical hacking is always astounding. And, you know, I, so I think it's, it's really intriguing and um, starts to connect the dots between a major problem and some of the solutions that you provide. So right, 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 right. So, uh, you know, I didn't know, um, so when you, when you were talking about interoperability and exchanges, what you've been doing in the consulting world, are, are we talking about the marketplace and, and that type of effort with insurance firms or no, the exchanges between like uh, EPHI, EMR stuff? Yeah, yeah. Before we started talking about health um, insurance exchanges, we talked about health information exchanges. They both right. became EMEs, okay. but um, it, yeah, it's the health information exchange. And, and really the problem that healthcare occurs at so many different points in the continuum that um, often the information doesn't follow from point A to point B. So still, you know, we're trying to connect those dots and, and solve those issues about healthcare being so siloed. Um, right. The, the industry. But that, well, you know, it's funny because we talk about siloed industries all the time, like law enforcement, the FBI and the CIA. Well, they're not law enforcement, but the FBI and local police and state police kind of being working in their own silos. You lose a lot of intelligence and, um, you know, capabilities. Healthcare is the same way that way. Right. Like it's important that because isn't there a push? And by the way, for those that are listening, we did not decide to talk about this topic. I've just decided to, to learn a little bit, but um, is, there, is there a push to have your medical records as an individual kind of follow you around more than it being retained by hospitals or something? I don't know how to describe that, but it, it seems yeah. like it should be like an ID bracelet or something along those lines. I, I hear what you're saying. And it, it, there's been an evolution in thinking for sure. You know. Um, five, 10 years ago, we used to debate about, well, who, who owns the information? Whose information is it? Is it the hospital's information? Is it the insurance right. company's information? You know, by and large now, everybody agrees it's the patient's information. Sure. And there's really a hard push, uh, both at the uh, ONC level and CMS and, you know, really to get you access to your information on your device, on your smartphone. Um, so there's really a, a push that we're, we want to enable patients to have as much access to their information as possible to help them be more uh, involved in, in their own care. Now, th there's always a paradox in health information sharing, right? It's, you know, you, we want to share, we want to share as much as possible, but we also want to maintain the privacy and protect as much as possible. So it's always, and then the other paradox is we, we want to save money by sharing information, but we want, we need to spend a lot of money to share information. <laughs> right. It's kind of a, yeah, yeah. Uh, an interesting dilemma, but right. um, you know, it's one that's, that's critically important. And, and now it's more important because we see the implications of needing to be able to connect the dots between a diagnosis, right? COVID positive, COVID negative, who's vaccinated, you know, all, all of those things start to play in the same space as 
we need to know uh, as a healthcare you know um, industry where patients stand in the various you know components of this so uh, that's right. really helping to force and, and you know push the push the initiatives as well well the good news is is that healthcare has had such an easy time of it over the last two years that you've been able to solve all these problems in that, in that time <laughs> right um no seriously though uh I mean, it's been a challenging time for for the healthcare industry in general. Um, so, what, give give us an idea of like some of the challenges that um, that may not be as apparent to those of us in security or in IT or just running businesses um, that healthcare has faced uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, a great question, Matt. And um, it's it's unlike anything we've ever seen before, right? Um, I, I think back to, you know, getting ready to go into 2020 and we had our list of major initiatives and, you know, everybody had their thoughts about what they were going to upgrade and replace. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and all bets are off, right? right. The uh, cases are going through the roof. The ERs are getting overwhelmed. Um, and now 2020 kind of turned into 2022, two years have gone by. And the primary focus in healthcare has been the pandemic. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That, that's just the way it has to have been. Right. Uh, and, and that's translated into a lot of different um, things, right? Um, there's a burnout factor. Um, you know, the, if you think about the frontline clinicians, not, not only are you dealing with this you know, crisis, but you're literally putting your your own you know skin on the neck, going out there and exposing yourself, and you know day after right. day, you know, maybe getting criticized from all different components. So the reality is is, and I think healthcare rec- workers uh, need to be acknowledged for the heroic acts to really get us to a point. If you think about where we are in 2022, I always cringe a little bit when people say how terrible 2021 was. I think it's amazing that in this pandemic, we've been able to get so many people vaccinated, treat so many people, come up with better care models, and now be in a position with this ultra uh, contagious strain that we have a fighting chance because uh, the, the the symptoms are rel- relatively mild, thanks to all the things that have gone into the healthcare efforts to get us here. So, sure. um, you know, the 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 other side of that coin is. Healthcare and hospitals, you know, were pretty complicated to begin with. So to put everything on hold for the last couple of years in dealing with this crisis, including cybersecurity threats, right. has really put uh, put us at a disadvantage. You know, th- we had a lot of work to do to begin with, and you know, now uh, you're really only doing the things that are 100% essential. Uh, but there's a lot of upgrades that need to be taken care of. There's a lot of, um, you know, workforce that needs to be backfilled. Sure. There's a lot of cybersecurity issues that still need to be figured <laughs> out. So um, there, there's going to be some catching up for a while. And it's not like we're out of the woods yet. So the, the pandemic right. definitely uh, exasperated an already, you know, difficult situation in healthcare. Yeah, I think that what you highlight there, and this is, you know, from an outsider looking in, certainly the the wear and tear on the clinicians, the ER docs, the nurses, et cetera, and the administrative staff, honestly, um, everybody involved in the, the healthcare model, um, those pressures are, you know, uh, going to continue. I mean, there's, there's, there's that, that even with the, the kind of what seems to be a less severe, uh, uh, disease happening now, it's still the same amount of pressure they're facing. They still have sick patients coming in. They're still worried about their own health and safety, et cetera. Setting all of the kind of the, the, the stuff that makes us, you know, wring our hands and, and nervous about it. And because I'm a glasses half full kind of guy, 
is it safe to say that there's been some positive things that we've learned during these two years? I mean, we know that we can, you know, with enough time, effort, and money, we can develop amazing technology, uh, technology being uh, vaccines uh, in, in record amounts of time, um, but also like the move to telemedicine. Um, that, I mean, that was an, an absolute necessity uh, based on the, the, the pandemic. Can you talk about that a little bit, like what that moves allowed organizations to do? It's kind of forced the hand of hospitals and doctors, right? Yeah, that, that's a great point. There's a lot of footnotes here. You know, we can talk about remote workforce and, and the fact that, you know, really um, a lot of people just started working from home instantaneously. And, you know, <laughs> the technology to support that in telemedicine, you know, we're in a better place than we would have been if this pandemic had hit any time over the last, you know, 50, 60 years by, by far. Um, so, you know, th those are some of the things that I think uh, are really going to take some study after the fact and tweaking, but we've shown that uh, telemedicine can uh, be used to keep people out of the doctor's office if they either can't get there or don't want to take the risks of, you know, um, spreading communicable diseases. That, that technology uh, works, and I think that that's a takeaway from this and will set up models going forward, ju just like business models are changing and Absolutely. models are changing, right? We're going to see a lot of that in, in healthcare. So I think we have a lot of good takeaways once we have time to finally uh, digest it and, and maybe make those final tweaks uh, around what needs to be done to support it um, in, a, in a different way going forward. Right, right. And again, a little bit off topic, but um, you know, I, when you think about it, and this, this dovetails into a podcast I just recorded with about the cloud and how technology, like, if, if, if people hadn't moved to the cloud in mass over the last, you know, five to 10 years, uh, this remote working, all of this, the way the economy has been able to bounce back, like, I don't think, I mean, I don't think we've had a chance to take our breath yet to really to appreciate that the amount of effort that not only healthcare workers, but technologists around the world and, and, and what have you have done to, to kind of keep things on a square footing during the pandemic. Because like you said, 50 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, I mean, it's an entirely different conversation we're having right now. Um, so that's, you know, hats off to, to all those involved. Um, so the, the pandemic most certainly put strain on the healthcare system uh, in multiple different ways. Um, there are some benefits that it's forced the hand of, of uh, adoption of technology, maybe at a rap, more rapid rate than, than healthcare usually operates in, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. But what has it also um, kept from being a focus? You, you, you and I had talked a little bit about like the need for um, uh, planning for long-term outages, et cetera. Um, I mean, I know that's something that, that you think about a lot on how, uh, how organizations deal with outages that don't last you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but you know, based on maybe some natural disaster, et cetera. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that, that that's a great point, and uh, we we had talked about that. the the um, the, the issue we were starting to get into right around uh, the beginning of 2020, and at that point, on the top of everybody's list was was you know cyber risks, ransomware growing, um, you know what to do about that, and the number of organizations um, that had experienced outages in excess of 72 hours, you know even to the you know two week and beyond timeframes. As we look at and having experience as a hospital CIO, 
you know, you, you're talking about downtime procedures in, in the context of hours, you know, and maybe right. a couple of days. But, you know, two things have happened over the last, you know, five years or so. The, uh, the, the dependency on IT has gone through the roof, you know, to the point where you, you really can't operate on paper very long before it breaks down the um, entire way that you treat patients and keep track of their information and bill for their, you know, so, so yeah, that- And that's, and sorry to interrupt, that's happened for a number of reasons. Um, it's more efficient. Um, there's some cost savings built into it. And also you can do more diagnostic work when you've digitized things because, you know, you have more data to play with, right? Exactly. And also you're now at a point where um, some people have, you know, been working in healthcare for five or 10 years and they don't remember how to operate on paper, you know? So, <laughs> right. so one of the problems is, well, we'll just go back to paper. It doesn't hold up so much anymore when you have to start to, you know, show people where a form is and how to fill it out and, you know, why you would ever even do that in a million years. So, you know, the, the uh, world has changed enough that, um, you know, kind of the, uh, downtime procedures are even um, struggling when when you have a day an outage for several hours or a day. So so the back to the point when you have an outage that's you know three days into a week long and longer, it, it really starts to have some tremendous implications. And we don't always have good plans for those, right? You, you know, if we roll up our sleeves and take a look at the disaster plans. Um, they don't start, they don't really define what you do after day three or 72 hours. So, and just some of the basics of that is, you know, during a downtime, you, you just roll up your sleeves and every, all hands on deck and everybody works through it and just stays up around the clock. And, you know, maybe you're up for 30 hours, but you just can't do that, you know, into days and, and weeks. You, you really need to have shifts that are focused on problem resolution and hand it off in a different way and have a command center structure that, that's functional and then really start to have dialogue with your board of health and, and law enforcement and you know your cyber insurance folks. And right. so it, it becomes a different um, exercise in, in planning now. That's one of the things that we've been uh, starting to look at is what does that long-term planning look like as opposed to you know outages, which were usually just a matter of an IT snafu that needed to be figured out and fixed. But right. when somebody's right. holding your uh, information for ransom and you don't have the keys and you're never going to get them until you either pay and then you don't always get them anyway, it's a kind of a different uh, different world out there now. Right. And, and, and you were talking about like rolling up your sleeves and working hard. I mean, that's really not an option right now because everybody's already working hard. Like how much harder can can the healthcare industry work? Right. Um, I mean, we're we're talking about burnout in a scenario where, you know, there aren't massive outages. I mean, I'm sure there's outages. We don't hear about the healthcare or health system outages as much as we used to because, unfortunately, there's so many outages in general that uh, caused by ransomware, or what have you. Um, so, so do you have ideas? I mean, some of the ideas that you talk about in in healthcare, like how to deal with um, with these long-term outages really do apply to other industries as well. I mean, you have actual people's lives on the line. Um, you know, if you, if you're a, a financial services firm or if you're a, you know, a construction firm or a manufacturing firm, certainly you don't want to have an outage. Um, but sometimes those outages that last a day can be wildly costly. Um, but, but don't put people's lives on the line. So that you've got a different, they could be wildly costly for the healthcare industry too. I remember reading a study after, 
Oh, what was the hospital? The the Beverly Hills Hospital, the the one Hollywood Hollywood, right? Um, on the the soft financial costs to them on not being able to do some of the procedures that they were used to doing. Um, forget the fact of all the the hard costs of like paying ransom and and getting staff in there and hiring hiring consultants, et cetera. But the soft costs of like lost revenue that's 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 real stuff that that impacts it. So you've got both sides in healthcare. Yeah, and you've also got a you know a um, credibility issue to deal with too. You sure. know, so all of a sudden um, you you might not be on the top of everybody's list after you know having had your uh, name dragged through the news for you know two or three weeks. But yeah. um, you know, it, 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 it's a huge challenge, and um, I think the ideas, unfortunately, uh, not a lot of silver bullets out there. No, but no. but the biggest message and the biggest idea is you're much better off thinking through some of those scenarios now than you are in the heat of the moment. Right. So if we can have a session or a round table or some dialogue around that and understand that it might be important to talk to your legal team about whether or not you'll be allowed to pay a ransom or not. You know, It's a conversation we have with all of our clients now, which is because when Michael and I started this firm five years ago, we were pretty steadfast, like don't pay the ransom. And, and, you know, in our ivory tower kind of way, like, oh, you would never need to pay the ransom. Well, reality is, is that sometimes you need to pay the ransom. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for that, but I understand it. So we say to our clients now, listen, have the hard conversation. This is the scenario. The systems are down. They've been down for a day. You're losing clients. You know, the, the ER is, is backing up, whatever it might be. Would we pay a ransom? If the answer is maybe, then you need to be prepared to pay the ransom. So you should have a crypto wallet, something that you can get access to those digital currencies uh, pretty quickly so that you can you can do that stuff. Um, but at the same line, also know all the, the hoops you need to jump through, like let the FBI know that you're going to pay the ransom and all of these things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so those are the things that we're starting to highlight as... Um, we won't have the answers to those and every organization is going to have to make their own decisions. But do you want to start to have some of those discussions between your legal team, your cyber liability team, your local law enforcement, and just say, you know, let's, let's say this was happening. How would, who would we even call, right? Let's get that right. call list together so that we don't waste half of a day trying to rally the right people. So it, it's all about um, planning and communication and, and in some ways planning for the unplannable you know, because right. we don't know what it's going to be or how long it's going to last. Um, but we just know that it's going to be tremendously difficult to get through. And the more we can um, prepare for that, the better. The preparedness is half the key. You're, you're telling me that it's not easy for hospitals to buy redundant equipment everywhere. So if their they're MRI machines all get hit with ransomware, they could just roll out the, the extra MRI that they have sitting in the back. Well, I'll tell you, we've already, <laughs> we've already gotten to the point where almost everything is redundant because we can't tolerate downtime. But <laughs> right. we, can't, we can't protect both the primary system and the redundancy. That's right. The ransomware simultaneously. <laughs> right. Right. Well, um, this I think this is uh, I think what you're what you're really saying is once we I don't want to I don't want to make light of it by saying this, but once we get past the pandemic um, and maybe we move to the endemic side of this equation and we just know it's with us and we get on with our lives um, or try to. Um, this is a focus that that healthcare is going to have to take is is. Uh, is on this this extended downtime. What 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 term do you use for it? Extended um, downtime. 
we, we extended we outage, long term outage, or or right. uh, and that's not even the whole story, right? Because it's it's a long term outage plus a uh, system wide outage. So right, a good term for it, but it's just the scariest thing you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just just the the hospital director's uh, laptop being down for a long time. It's not a, a high impactful outage. It may make IT's the IT department's life a living hell, but that's not uh, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're not calling the FBI on that. Right, right. So uh, give us give us just as we wrap up here, just give us a couple of other nuggets um, about, and I'm putting you on the spot, uh, uh, like challenges that you see, maybe towards the the back half of 2022 or into 2023, uh, with the assumption that the pandemic. Uh, uh, turns into something that it's not currently um, or hasn't been in the past, um, and we're able to move forward on things in, in healthcare. So, so, so then it's about prioritizing all the stuff that's been on the back burner for the last couple of years, right? Um, obviously, um, and, and I don't want to suggest anybody's ignoring cyber um, risks, right? Everybody's very aware of them, but they haven't been uh, top priority in the last couple of years, you know? Um, so so it, the question is, once the dust starts to settle, how do we prioritize what absolutely needs to be done versus what's, you know, uh, I think that that's really gonna be the question. Every organization is gonna have different um, needs around that. Um, well, so and, I, and, you, and you knew this beforehand, but having sit, sat through, I don't know, what is it, seven or eight of my little, uh, presentations to your class, you know how important measuring risk and understanding risk is for deciding what you need to do next, right? Amen. <laughs> so what, so you were going to, I interrupted, you were going to add uh, one other thing. Uh, you know, yeah. So I think the uh, prioritization and, um, you know, re really there's, there's going to be a renewed emphasis on um, pandemic planning going forward, right? There's so many lessons learned from this. Right. And I don't think anybody's going to be comfortable that once we're, you know, through the initial shock of this, we don't have another threat one year away, three years away, and we're 20 years away. And I think the lessons learned and building on that um, are going to mean a lot of refocus in healthcare and, and maybe missed opportunities and in, in trying to uh, prepare for that. So as uh, challenging as healthcare was before, it's become a lot more challenging, plus all the resource limitations now. We've had we've lost a lot of everybody from clinicians to nurses to doctors to, you know, just like every other industry is struggling, right. you know, the, the workforce. Um, and it's not clear what, how, how quickly that's all going to come back. So it's not um, clear. Yeah, we have a, right. a bit of a recovery time and it's hard to, to gauge what that's going to look like. Um, but we know there's going to be needs uh, from the short list of things that didn't get done in the, in the recent, you know, couple of years uh, to those things that are pressing threats that are going to need to be uh, addressed to uh, better preparedness going forward. So I guess if there's good news, there, there's going to be a ton of work in healthcare. Uh, so mm -hmm. we'll all keep very busy. And right. it, it's always well worth it because at the end of the day, uh, you know, keeping people healthy and uh, in, in good, you know, in good health is, is always important. Yeah, it's uh, the ultimate goal is, is, is admirable to say the least, right? Um, well, cool. That's great stuff, Jim. I appreciate it. Um, so as we end every one of these podcasts, uh, we ask our, our uh, guests to give us a, uh, a great place they like to go on the water, uh, in a harbor, um, on the beach, and, and, and a place to grab a burger or a beer or something along those lines. Do you have something in mind that you might share with everyone? 
but it's probably a, a, a tough question given the, the number of beautiful places on the water. But the one that sure. is coming immediately to mind, um, I love the, the city of Charleston and uh, in the harbor, there's a uh, place called Fleet's Landing, which is actually a, a restaurant bar on a boat uh, on the harbor. So th that's the one that immediately comes to mind. So I'll throw that one out there. Yeah. And I, I will say that you gave great advice because my, my family and I went to I guess about this time last year, well, a little bit later, it was spring break last year. Uh, we went down to Charleston and you had given us some some spots and uh, they were all very well received. So uh, as I said, then appreciate it. Yeah. So so listen to what Jim had to say. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to Charleston. Well, Jim, uh, thanks again. Uh, really appreciate the time. Great uh, seeing you virtually next time. We'll, we'll do it in person. Sounds great, man. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Harbor's innovative processes are based on industry standard frameworks that are tailored to meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. We would also like to thank Tom Marshall for the original music. Yes, that Tom Marshall from Fish fame. Harbor's portfolio of services is designed to meet the cybersecurity needs of small and medium enterprises. We offer a range of services from cyber risk advisory to VCSO consulting to meet specific security requirements without putting a strain on your technology budget. If you like what you heard here, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. We release new podcasts every other week and are available on Spotify and Apple. You can reach us through our website if you have additional questions or suggest a great harbor we should mention on our next show. 